This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I started Self Work almost six years ago now. To try to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who are already very interested in psychological and emotional issues, to those of you who might be having a problem that you're struggling with, or perhaps even you've just been diagnosed with some kind of mental illness or you're just not feeling mentally well, but also to a third group of you, those of you who may have heard about therapy but think it's really silly or only for people who are weak, and of course, This podcast isn't therapy, but at least you'll be able to see and hear and feel what it's like to talk with a psychologist about certain issues. I always love getting feedback that I was one of those people in the third group, they'll say, but I went to therapy after listening to self-work. So welcome to all of you. You know, the question I receive most from all of you is, what do you do when you care about someone who won't help themselves? So today, I want to try to answer it. They may be depressed, destructive, anxious, ill, addicted, whatever. Maybe from your perspective, they've given up, they're in denial, or are extremely defensive about how they're living or how their struggles are impacting you, the family, them, their job, their entire outlook on life. Part of many mental and emotional problems, especially those that involve seeming distortions in thinking, are hard to recognize by the person who has those very thoughts. A person with OCD who's compelled to check the locks on the house a certain number of times before going to bed may not see anything unusual about that. I'm making sure we're safe, they'll say. Someone with deepening depression may have thoughts that tell them they aren't liked or respected, and they'll be able to give you evidence of that. Someone who worries constantly is on hyper alert most of the time would say, we live in a dangerous world. Of course, it's also possible that what you're perceiving as a problem They simply don't, and it has nothing to do with mental health. It's a difference between the two of you, and one that you wish would change. But if we go in that direction, that's a whole other conversation. So let's stick with the original idea. We're going to focus on what can happen when you perceive that someone you care about is getting worse in a way that has to do with mental or emotional struggle and or illness, and they don't see it your way. And then, as always, we'll focus on what you can do or try to do about it. And a quick hint, sometimes the it isn't how to get your point across to the other person. Sometimes it does mean looking at yourself and reevaluating your own choices. You know, when I started this podcast, I had the major goal of helping listeners realize that everyone's life gets out of balance. Everyone has unexpected, unwelcome, and even scary things happen to them. Perhaps not on the same level or the same experiences, but they can have similar reactions. And of course, my passion has been to try and reach those of you who think you've got life under control. But in reality, you're struggling like everyone else. But your struggle is hidden. Here's a recent email I got from a reader in the Czech Republic, where Perfectly Hidden Depression is published. Your book completely changed my life. I had no idea about some struggles that I was dealing with deep inside me, and with the help of your book comes everything to the surface. It was really hard to handle my emotion, but after that, it was a super liberating feeling, and I'm much more confident now. 
So let's have a little summer kick. Email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com or send me a voicemail on the SpeakPipe app and I'll send you a free signed copy of my book. I'll take the 10th email and the 4th SpeakPipe. So there are two ways of winning. Our listener email today also has to do with perfectly hidden depression. And this episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens. So now let's focus on how you can approach or cope with depression and anxiety disorders in someone you love when they themselves can't seem to try or don't agree with you that something is a problem. We're not going to be focused on more characterological problems in this episode, such as borderline or narcissistic personality disorder. That's an entire episode in itself, and maybe that's soon to come. There are some mental illnesses or breaks from good mental health that happen suddenly. Those are usually brought on by a recognized stressor or unexpected, unwanted change, a death, a rape, a divorce, being diagnosed with a medical illness, a job loss. And perhaps because it's more evident that something happened and your mind and your emotions have been altered as a result, those changes in functioning can be admitted and talked about openly. I know I haven't been the same since Dad's death. I've been drinking way too much. After I was raped, I started isolating and pulling away from everyone. I feel so ashamed, and I can't even imagine having sex with my partner. And here's another. After the most recent mass shooting, something snapped in me, and I can't allow my kids out of my sight. But sometimes, even when the trigger or stressor is evident, you still don't have insight into the changes in you. Maybe you don't want to see the impact of your dad's death, or you're terrified to remember the details of being raped, and you don't know that the shame you feel can be worked through. Maybe you don't believe that there's anything that can help, or you're too proud or stubborn to seek help. So there are two things that could be happening. Perhaps you believe, as I've heard from so many, I need to solve my own problems. Or second, you don't see how you're changing or have changed, nor do you understand the impact that that change is having on others around you. So one, you see there's a problem, you recognize that you've changed, but you won't seek help. Or two, you don't see the change in you at all, and you certainly wouldn't label it as a mental illness or even problematic, destructive behavior. But here's the issue we're focusing on today. If you're staying in denial... If you're afraid of stigma, if you lack insight, what are people supposed to do who are in your world and trying to love you, but whose lives are being impacted because you aren't open to seeing things differently or from their perspective? It's the elephant in the room that no one's talking about. The changes in you that everyone sees, but because you won't admit it, you aren't open about it, then everyone else feels like they have to tippy-toe around you and it. To research this a bit, I googled people who won't help themselves and found an article from Tiny Buddha, which is an interesting website created by Lori Deshen. Its subtitle is Simple Wisdom for Complex Lives. She asked her readers, how do you help someone who won't help themselves? And then picked the answers that most resonated with her. I've included the link in the show notes. It's a really good article. I'd check it out if I were you. But I condensed what people had to offer into four different points. First, make sure you don't have your own agenda. Two, be available. Number three, recognizing that them not helping themselves 
isn't something they're withholding, but they're not capable of that change at this time in their lives. Or basically, maybe they need to go through what they're going through. And number four, make sure you're taking care of yourself in the process. You'll also be acting as a role model for them to see what a different kind of life might be like. Now, let's quickly point out that if you're the parent of a child who's developing mental illness or some kind of self-destructive behavior, then this is different. It's important to notice and be tuned into them, even if they don't want you to be. Work with them through doing family therapy or whatever's necessary to help them be open to the help that's available. But as children grow into adults, and if they steadfastly refuse treatment, help, or medications, then your hands can get tied behind you more and more. Perhaps that's when these four check-ins or guideposts can apply to you. We'll go through these four in more detail, and actually I'll add a fifth to the list, as usual, putting my two cents in. But now let's take a moment to hear from Athletic Greens with a fantastic offer they have for self-work listeners. By the way, I was seeing a doctor last week, and she asked what supplements I was taking. When I said Athletic Greens, she nodded and said, I've been hearing about them. Not an endorsement, certainly, but the word seems to be getting around about this wonderful product. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work, and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So now let's take a closer look at these four guideposts to use if you love or care for someone whose insight about their mental or emotional state is limited or there's flat denial of a problem. They can't see it and they get defensive when you try to bring it up. The first one is to make sure you check if you have your own agenda. What does this mean? When I think about this, I wonder, for example, how many times it might happen that you have a partner who's socially anxious or is struggling with depression, and that partner is no longer as fun or capable of making the money they used to or whatever it could be. You want them to get back into the swing of things so that life isn't so hard. Perhaps you're wanting them to just return to normal. Perhaps you yourself struggle that things are changing and seeming to get out of control. Or maybe you're focusing on a symptom of the problem instead of the problem. What do I mean by that? Let's take the example I used before of someone's father dying and they're drinking more. Let's say this person is your partner and the father of your children. Of course, you want the drinking to stop. But could you have another agenda? 
Maybe his grief scares you. Maybe you need for him to be stoic and not show any kinds of a mental or emotional struggle. So you focus on the drinking, not the source of the drinking. And in so doing, you're not addressing that elephant in the room, the fact that your partner hasn't delved into his feelings about his dad. That's the real point. You can be so focused on fixing things that you also miss what's running the show, emotions that aren't being expressed. Sometimes there's grief because their dad was a wonderful dad, and sometimes grief can be because they had a terrible relationship, and any hope that it might be better died as well. So what you want to do is to make sure that your agenda is as pure as it can be, and that you're noticing not just the symptoms of the problem, but what's underlying the problem. And that way, perhaps, you can compassionately approach your partner with what you think is the underbelly of what's going on. And that might hit its mark. The second guidepost is to remain available. I want to turn here to Al-Anon for some guidance as their mantra is, detach with love. Al-Anon is an international support group for those living with alcoholics who aren't in recovery or those who are. Here's a quote from one of their really wonderful websites, Boardwalk Recovery. The Al-Anon and Alateen literature focus on problems that are common to family members and friends of alcoholics, such as excessive caretaking, an inability to differentiate between love and pity, support and enabling, and loyalty to abusers. So, the point is, to remain available in a healthy way means that you have to detach with love, and that doesn't mean you disappear, but you don't enable You don't try to do for them what they're struggling to do for themselves. You don't pity them, and you support them getting help. You go for help yourself, for example. Let's get back to the partner who refused to grieve his dad. You might point out in a moment that he's not drinking, that you wonder if he has a fear of grieving, but that you'll be there for him when he's ready. So part of the detaching with love may have to include setting boundaries as well. This is done calmly, as you talk about what you see and about its impact on you and the family. Let's take the example of the parent whose anxiety has wildly increased since the recent shootings or something that's happened in your own country, if not in the U.S. You can point out that the kids are picking up on that parent's fear and becoming more anxious themselves and that that's not okay. Boundaries aren't threats, but they can sometimes be accused of being so. You can try to talk about natural consequences, which is a term I often use in therapy, as a replacement for boundaries, natural consequences. It shifts the responsibility onto the person who's doing the destructive or unhealthy behavior. So you'd say, I've got to set a boundary. You would look at them and say, the natural consequence of your being this anxious is that I need to, whatever that happens to be. So you're linking their behavior with your boundary. Make sense? Here's the third guidepost. Recognizing that your loved one may not be capable at this time of making the desired change. And you wishing it so isn't going to help. I want to point out that there are certainly people who study mental illness who believe that many mental illnesses are natural responses to stress. Is it truly an illness to become depressed? Or is depression the way the mind processes loss or grief? No one would say that the people of Ukraine are mentally ill for being tremendously sad and angry as they watch their country being destroyed and thousands of people killed. When I think of the emergence of my own panic disorder, had I become mentally ill, or was my mind and soul and body reacting naturally to the chaos I'd created in my life? 
I think it's the latter. It's not that there aren't mental illnesses. There are. You can't watch someone destroy their lives when they become manic and psychotic, hearing voices that tell them they're superhuman and they begin to do very dangerous and erratic things and not believe that mental illness exists. You can't be in a room with a grieving mother who can barely get to your office because of her emotional paralysis and not believe that grief can grow into a mind-numbing, joy-destroying emotional and mental state that's constant. You can't watch someone with OCD wash their hands so much that they bleed and not know that compulsions can lead to lives disintegrating into one awful bout of anxiety into another. Mental illness exists, but it's on a spectrum And that's so important to remember. No one who loves me wants me to have panic attacks. But maybe I had to develop panic attacks to get my attention, so I was forced to see what I was doing with my life. This is just something for you to think about. Sometimes where we find ourselves emotionally, even mentally, is where we need to be to learn and grow. But let's go back to the impact on the person who's trying to love someone going through a mild to a much more severe mental illness. And you really want them to admit it and to see it as you see it. You have to offer them time and support. And sometimes if they allow it, a mirror of what you see. My suggestion remains that if you approach a conversation with your loved one, talk about what it's like to watch them struggle. Don't label their struggle. You'd say, it's hard for me to watch you wake up and start to panic about another shooting. I feel helpless as I watch your anxiety take hold of you. You don't say you're being ridiculous and you're falling apart. You don't label their struggle. That would make anyone defensive. So here's number four. Take care of yourself and in so doing you'll act as a role model. This is fairly self-explanatory, but it can also be hard to stay out of an emotional battle with them. Often when I'm working with couples who are at their wit's end with each other, I'll challenge them to stop observing their partner so much and focus on the changes they want to make in themselves. What's your goal for you? They look at me sort of quizzically like, isn't this marital therapy? But I challenge them and say, there's too much conflict between the two of you right now for trust to build at all. So what I want both of you to do is focus on yourself and make the changes in you that you'll feel good about. And one person will say, well, I want to learn how to talk about my anger and not impulsively act it out. Another might say, I need to be more assertive and not so passive. Then my challenge to them is to go work on that and stop putting their partner under a microscope. Focus on changes in you that are in your control, and that can help. So by taking care of yourself in many ways, you're refocusing on what you have control over, and the only thing or person you have control over is you. I said I was going to add a fifth guidepost, and here it is. Keep watch on your own mental and emotional state. Michael Yapko wrote a book several years ago about the contagion of depression. He called it, Depression is Contagious, (laughs) and stressed that looking through a depressed or anxious lens can be catching. I've certainly seen this for myself, and it can be very hard not to be pulled in or even sucked into some kind of emotional vortex with a person who's anxious or depressed or afraid. This may seem very similar to caring for self, but I wanted to stress this phenomenon. For example, several years ago, I had been treating several people who had been injured in car accidents, and I had no idea how much 
Just listening to their stories had affected me until I had a panic attack on the highway, something that had never happened. I had in many ways absorbed their lens of seeing traffic, and I had to work on that. I still am working on that. But I want to make one more point. Sometimes when someone else is sad or down or angry, it can cause you to try to balance that out. For example, if someone is really angry, you'll sometimes take the opposite approach, trying to balance out, well, if they're so sad, then I won't be sad at all. Or if they're so angry, I won't even approach my own anger. And so you don't get to connect with your own feelings. Your partner may not be the only one who's reeling from some stressor. If your partner was raped, you have your own set of feelings about that. If your loved one's father died, you might have your own reactions. Since he or she is denying them or not dealing with theirs, you may feel as if you cannot express yours. And that's what I'm suggesting, that you go on and allow yourself to do that. So let's go over these five guideposts again. The first guidepost is to make sure you check about your own agenda and is it as pure as it can be? Or are you paying attention to what's underneath the symptom? The second is to remain available. But what I mean by that is also stay loving but detach, where you may have to set boundaries or talk about natural consequences. The third guidepost is to recognize that your loved one may not be capable at this time of making the desired change. They're learning something they need to learn, and basically you need to give them time. And again, you might have to talk about natural consequences But just because you want them to make a change doesn't mean they can or will. And number four is to take care of yourself, to work on what you have control over, which is you. And number five is to keep watch on your own mental and emotional state. And make sure just because they're struggling that you don't somehow believe, well, then I can't struggle. I need to be strong or I need to be stoic. Talk with a trusted friend or a therapist about how you're doing. I hope those guideposts are helpful. The listener email for today comes from a young Japanese woman. Hello, I came across your book on Audible last week. When I took your questionnaire, I was surprised that I scored 20 of them yes. You really saved my life. I was born in Japan and grew up in a strict family. My mom did not work after she got married, so my success was important for her to get a good identity as a good family. I hear a lot of that kind of pressure from people. My parents were fighting all the time, so I worked hard to be the perfect child for my family. I left Japan when I was 15 and have been in the United States for the last few years. I learned to speak English and am now a senior project manager in a company in the U.S. I am happily married. People respect me and think I have it all together. I thought I could put my past in the little box, just like you described it, and could get through anything if I continued to work hard and perform well. I started to work on the weekend, worked late hours to catch up, but felt like I could never catch up, and something snapped inside of me. I started getting headaches all the time. I became anxious, struggling with lack of motivation. I made an appointment with therapist today, but it is 12 days away. Your book is helping me while I wait for the support. I also discovered your podcast, so you must be listening to this. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with people who cannot get support right away like me. It's always so meaningful to receive an email like this one, and I'm not surprised that this woman of Japanese descent has identified with perfectly hidden depression. 
The book is on its way to being translated into nine languages, four of which have already been published. But there was a bidding war in South Korea for the book, because in countries like Japan and South Korea, the perfectionism and achievement that's expected of children can be harsh and unrelenting. And the real problems that are caused by a home life that was empty of safety and security are never admitted or revealed. I've included a link to a YouTube video focusing on the sky-high rates of suicide in Japan. And of course, it's happening here as well. But in Japan, those deaths are especially young women, which is a shocking fact for the Japanese. COVID and finances are blamed, but how much of it is how women get treated in the home that they can't talk about? Please, if you watch the video, watch with caution. So certainly to this listener and reader, if my book has helped in any way, I'm honored and very grateful. And for any of you who want to take the questionnaire, I've included the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be looking for those emails and voicemails to be coming in to have a little fun with the summer and offer you some reading that I hope would be very helpful to you. Keep those ratings and reviews coming. I so appreciate them and would love to read what you have to say on the air and express openly my gratitude to you. I have a Facebook closed group and I'd love for any and all of you to join. The URL is facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. My website is DrMargaretRutherford.com, and you can subscribe there, which is a really easy way of keeping in touch with what's going on, what I write, what I'm doing, and what I have, hopefully, to offer you. Thank you for being here. I wanted to say that actually I wrote this episode prior to this last shooting in Illinois here in the United States. It's not enough to say that our hearts and our minds and our prayers go out to everyone. I know that. So however you feel on this matter, and you live in the United States, let's please try to find some agreement on how to go forward. So take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.